I'm going to start a new series this morning, and um, this time I'm going to take the title from a phrase in pop culture right now. I see you. I see you. And you have to kind of get the pop culture reference for it to not be creepy. Um, so I, I, I debated as to whether or not to use this, but I see you is like a, a phrase of, I recognize you. I see you. I see you there. I see you there doing that thing you do. You know, it's kind of a, um, I recognize you. I respect you. I value you. Um, and in the case of me, it might be like, I get your sense of humor when other people don't. Um, or, you know, it, right? You, you feel me? You hear me, right? It, it's kind of like, I used to be, I feel you. I hear you. This is, it's a similar thing. I see you. And I want to, uh, hearken back to, uh, a story in the Bible that we, uh, looked at while we were in our Daniel fast at the beginning of the year. And that's why we're going to Genesis 16. Uh, before we do, just to dovetail on what Justin said, if you're going to dive into one of the gospels for the fall, this is what I would suggest will kind of help us be on the same page as a church where we're going with this series and actually our next series. And that would be the gospel of Matthew, uh, because we're going to um, hunker down, dig in, on Matthew 5. So if you want to follow Justin's advice from earlier this morning, I, I would recommend uh, Matthew. That'd be my recommendation. What you know, Go where the Lord uh, leads you, but that'd be my recommendation. And so for this series, I'm going to actually pull, lift from Jesus' words in that first real teaching that he provided. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, which you see on the screen, blessed, or in Jesus' street Greek, it'd be happy. They're happy because God has blessed them. We recognize, people recognize that God has blessed them, and so they are happy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So easy for us to get hung up on pure in heart. I mean, who the heck is pure in heart? You know, that can't be me. I'm never going to, right? Or who has seen God? So easy for us to not connect with this. Jesus did not say these words for us to not connect with them. He didn't say these words for them to sound impossible. He didn't say these words for them to sound unattainable, for them to be a downer. Remember, Jesus' teaching here is focused on the positive. It's the benefits. It's the, it's the message of the satisfied customer, of the person who is benefiting from an active, personal, direct relationship with God. He's saying, these people are blessed. They're happy. And when Jesus says, you know, the pure in heart, his phrase there has as much as anything else to do with in right standing with, in right relationship with. And remember, as we saw in the previous chapter, in chapter 4, he, wherever he went, he taught, hey, the kingdom of God is here. Repent. Confess your mistakes. Confess your sins and turn away from them and follow God with all you've got. That was the overarching, the, the repeated teaching of Christ. Confess. And so this was the pure in heart was something that Jesus had laid out oh, and taught through. This is attainable because it's not up to you. It's not about you. It's not about you and how what your week has been like. You can be pure in heart here now in this moment by simply confessing your sins, asking for God's forgiveness because your purity is not up to you. It's up to Jesus. It is his righteousness we take on, right? And then works its way into us, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, right? It's an attainable, it's an approachable, it is a yes. 
Yes. For they will see God. And his word see God is to experience. His words to observe and experience. To experience by observing. That's his words. That's what they would have meant, how he would have said it today. So blessed, happy. Happy are those that are in a right relationship with God and so their heart is clean. They're in a place of a clean heart. Because they will experience, they will observe, they will have an experiential, if you will, relationship with God. Doesn't that sound good? And yet I can get how it sounds impossible. So going to Genesis chapter 16, we're going to look at the story of a lovely lady. Not Mrs. Brady. I know, thank you, those of you that are old enough to be with me on that. There's a story of a lovely lady. <laughs> However that went, I don't know. I'm, I'm not over 40, I'm not. Hagar, so uh, I'm going to highlight and um, abbreviate this a little bit. Oh, and I forgot the tagline here is, if you see God, it changes how you see everything else. If you see God, it changes how you see everything else. And I wanted to say that because I know that today there are some of us that are hurt. There are some of us that are in desperate need of healing. There are some of us that are dry. There are some of us that are feeling thirsty for God. There are some of us that are kind of in the doldrums of boredom. And then there are some of us that are on mountaintops. Listen, wherever you're at right now, this is the answer. Oh, another one of Pastor Ben's simple messages. I'm going to have to go find something more complex. No, wherever you're at, this is the answer. Right? So, Genesis chapter 16. Now, what's going on? Abram has had the promise of God. I will make you a mighty nation. And yet, they can't have kids. Abram and Sarai. She was from the Caribbean. Thank you. So Sarai, Abram's wife, comes to Abram not being able to conceive kids and says, hey, this ain't, this ain't working out. God made us a promise. We're going to have a whole lot of kids. Why don't you take my servant, Hagar the Egyptian, and conceive a baby, right, surrogate. By the way, in this, God does not bless this. God doesn't, well, and here's what I mean by that. God doesn't say that's right. Now, when they've come to a place of repentance... God, all parties involved, God does bring about good through their mistake. Right? God redeems our failures. So, and I don't... Sarah, Abram's wife, says here, sleep with her and she'll get pregnant. Well, it works. You know, like any dumb husband, he says, okay. Right? It works. She gets pregnant. And then what happens after she gets pregnant? Well, Hagar starts to treat Sarai with contempt. Right? She didn't want this. This isn't, this wasn't her choice. This wasn't her plan. So now there's friction. The relationship isn't working. Right? And why the relationship is broken is not working because it was sinful. Right? And so Sarai says, we gotta deal with this. So Abram and Sarai get together and say, well, you gotta send her away. They send her away. Hagar cries out to God. 
In verse 7, Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness. She's looking for refreshment. She's hurt. She's alone. She's pregnant. She's thirsty. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? You notice a lot of times the message of God comes in and it's gentle. Right? Where, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she replied. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. So just like in Jesus says, repent of your sins, sometimes God asks us to do something that is difficult. You think she wanted to go back? Oh, no. Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. You notice it's not just return, it's return and submit. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. Now this is a big deal because a person's wealth, a person's reputation, a person's um, standing in the community would be different with a lot of descendants. And this is a connection with the covenant, the promise that God had given Abram for many descendants for a mighty nation. I will give you many more descendants than you can count. That's specific. And the angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. In other words, you're here in a dry place, thirsty, wondering if you will survive. Not only will you survive, but this baby will survive. You will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. This son of yours will be a wild man as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fist against everyone and everyone will be against him. Yes, he will live in open hostility against all his relatives. God is preparing the heart of a mother for a difficult future. Thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are, El Roy was the Hebrew, you are the God who sees me. You are the God who sees me. The angel said, that son is going to be called Ishmael. She says, God hears, God heard your distress. She began to refer to God as El Roy, not Leroy, El Roy. The God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Have I truly seen the one who sees me? This is her response to God after God has responded to her injustice. She's been done wrong. She's been done wrong by the people that knew better, by the people that should do right. And then we see in chapter 17 and verse 20 that God blesses Hagar and Ishmael. God comes in as they live a repentant life and he brings blessing. 
But I want to bring us to her question because I think it connects with Jesus' word. Happy are those who are pure in heart for they will see God. I love her question. She's, I'm going to call you God Elroy, the God who sees me. And I'm going to ask myself, have I truly seen the one who sees me? Have I truly seen the one who sees me? See, I think it's easy for us to make the Christianity thing, the faith thing, complex. But God is always making it simple. I think it's easy for us to focus on external behaviors or the external behaviors of other people or the things that we can control. But God is always bringing us back to the things we can't control. I think it's easy for us, i got to learn this and learn that and the checklist that Justin referred to earlier. But God is always bringing us back to a heart place, to a personal relationship place. And I'm going to show us in Scripture this morning a little bit about that because I know that some of us have never been exposed to this and some of us came up in churches where this was actually taught against. But the truth of the matter is that throughout Scripture, an experiential personal relationship with God, it's in there. And I'm going to walk us through a little bit of doctrine but with a focus on bringing each of you to a place of asking yourself, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So I think that this brings us to, what, what's God like? What That would be kind of our initial way of asking it, right? What's God like? Uh, maybe a more appropriate, respectful way of asking that um, is what has God disclosed about himself? What are the things that we can know because God has disclosed this about himself? Frederick Faber wrote this, only to sit and think of God. Oh, what a joy it is to think the thought, to breathe the name. Earth has no higher bliss. You see on the screen the the quote from Tozer. To our questions, God has provided answers. Not all the answers, certainly, but enough to satisfy our intellects and ravish our hearts. These answers he has provided in nature, in the scriptures, and in the person of his son. Have I truly seen the one who sees me? This week is the 20th wedding anniversary for Rebecca and I. (laughs) I I have been... uh, I've been, you know, writing love notes and that, that have, has taken me down a memory path and, and included in that memory path because we grew up as, as friends, um, included in that memory path was that moment before the wedding when I first saw her in her wedding dress. It's like, a, whoa. It was like as close in, in humanity to a holy moment as, you know, I had had. It was a, wow. That was a life changing I, I see you. <laughs> you know you know what I mean, right? It's like a whoa. Um, if I don't have that kind of personal connection with God, then it's something that God is desiring. If if we choose to live vicariously through other people a relationship with God, we will always suffer.
every person's different. Every person's unique. God speaks to us in different ways. Different ones of us find his glory, discover him, learn about him in different ways. You don't need to have the same experience that I do, but you must experience him. You you must. You must hunger for him and you must encounter him. And I love the fact that Tozer points out that there's three main ways in which anyone and everyone can learn about what's God like. I love seeing recently uh, Ray um, post some pictures of going fishing for the first time in a long time. In nature, whether you're catching something or not, there's something to be learned about God, right? And growing up in the Pacific Northwest, an hour or so from the Pacific Ocean, which we called the coast because it's normally kind of rainy. Uh, you don't call it the beach when you don't wear a swimsuit, right? Uh, Leah knows what I'm talking about. Um, and, and from an 11,000-foot peak in Mount Hood that has snow year-round, and from Multnomah Falls, which is an amazing, beautiful waterfall, that wherever I could, I could go and I could connect with nature. I could get out. I grew up in the city, always knowing where the drug house was in my neighborhood, but I could get into nature relatively quickly and have the awe of, man, if God could create that, how small are my problems? Right? God has communicated to us through nature. And I think, if anything, we should probably get like a Reddit-style subgroup within this church of nature spots we could drive to. Listen, I'm a city boy. I love the city, but all y'all got to get out of the city once in a while and experience some green, experience some water. Can I get get an amen? (laughs) Right? Ron loves Skyline Drive. We all have like our spots, Gunpowder Falls, whatever it is. You got to get out. Now, in addition to nature, God has answered questions in the scriptures. It's in there. Right? And that takes some effort. That takes some work to get there and in the person of his son. Remember, everything about Jesus informs us about God. Right? Everything about Jesus. Isaac Watts wrote this. The heavens declare thy glory, Lord, and every star thy wisdom shines. But when our eyes behold thy word, we read thy name in fair lines. Thomas uh, Traherne wrote this. As nothing is more easy than to think, so nothing is more difficult than to think well. I'd like to bring your attention to some biblical theology to help you think well. We're designed to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Enjoying God is what you are designed for. In, I know this sounds weird for some of us, enjoying God. Oh God, check that out about you. Look at you, I see you. We are designed. It is a part of our ultimate end. It is a part of what heaven will be. It is a part of what aches in us that we try to satisfy with other things. We are designed to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. This is a modern version of what ancient Christians have written and recited for hundreds of years. The chief end of man, you may remember it by from the catechism. Longing to be happy, second on the screen, longing to be happy is good, not sinful. Some of us experience sex or substances in one of three ways. As a God, something that you value more than God. Or as gross, when God has designed them to be a gift. 
And so what can happen is we can begin to think of pleasure as evil because we've experienced sin in pleasure. Now hear what I'm saying. Sin is sin. And Jesus told his followers, the devil is crouching at the door waiting to devour you. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to bait you with sin. That Sin is real. But let's not get our theology twisted because we've experienced sin. For you, longing to be happy is good. It's not sinful, longing to be happy. Third, the deepest and most enduring happiness is found only in God. There are many other happiness that we experience. Happiness. But the deep and most enduring happiness is found only in God. And fourth, this happiness is complete when we share it with others. We can become sick as a believer if we are not sharing this happiness with others. That's what leads to us feeling disillusioned and grumpy. Let's walk through the Psalms. I'll just put them on the screen for the sake of time quickly. Psalm 37 verse 4. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Does that sound like your longing to be happy is sinful? No. Does it sound like enjoying God is what you're designed for? Yes. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 42 verses 1 through 2. As the deer longs for the streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before Him? See, on Sunday mornings, that's where our hearts should be. That should lead us to be here early. Yeah, I said it. Because we desire God. Not, it's not about a show. Because we desire Him. We desire His presence. Psalm 63 verse 1. Oh God, You are my God. I earnestly search for You. My soul thirsts for You. My whole body longs for You in this parched and weary land where there is no water. Does that sound like a dry Christianity? Does that sound like an intellectual exercise that faith is supposed to be? Does that just sound like something where other people experience it but you don't? No! That sounds like a personal encounter with the living God. Psalm 34 verse 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him. Psalm 16 and 11, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. When we come together and sing his praises here in this place or in our homes, we should really shut ourselves away and not think about, look at anybody else that's in the room, but focus on our Savior. So, This learning about God, this seeing God, learning something more about Him, trying to discover something in Him that's good, that is praiseworthy. How do we do that? I'm so glad you asked. Prayer. Pour out your heart to Him. Rest in His presence in a worshipful way. Second, on the screen, meditation on the Word. Some of us need to maybe slow down this trying to read through the Bible in a year and take a phrase, a sentence, a passage, and just chew on it. Mentally. Pour your heart over it. Ask questions about it. Meditate on it. Try it. Pull it apart. Separate it. Dissect it. Dig into it. His word is alive. It is alive for you. And a part of the purpose of his word, every one of the words, 
is for you to learn more about Him. For your benefit. Meditate on the Word. And third, I put a curse word up there for church. That's work. (laughs) Got your attention. This takes work on your part. I can't do it for you. I can pray for you, but I cannot pray for you, for you, for you. (laughs) Some of you get what I mean. This takes effort on your part. There's no pattern, no example in the scripture of passively following God. No. All we see is examples of actively following God. Are you with me? So this is why we say God is alive, aware, able, and active. We believe this about God. So when we say, I see you, God, this is what we see. We see a God who is alive, a God who is aware, a God who is able, and a God who is active. And on the screen, I want you to start to ask yourself this question to fill in the blanks. If God is dot, 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 then I am dot, 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 then I can dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blanks. If God is good, if God truly sees me, if God truly knows me, right? Then I am his child, loved by him. In no need of hiding from him. Then I can come to him quickly, wherever I am, loud, quiet, or silent. I can come to him, right? If God is, I am, then I can. Isn't that good? If God sees me and yet loves me, then I am known by Him and loved by Him and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, one of the amazing things about a 20-year marriage is that Rebecca knows me better than everybody else. She knows all the skeletons in my closet, all my weaknesses, all my bad habits, all my negative tendencies, anything that is not lovely about me, she knows. And yet she still loves me. When I look at my ring, I don't think about the promise I made to her as much as I think about the promise she made to me. And that in 20 years, she has not taken it off. That's meaningful. Long-term relationships. And this is why when we, 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 we get together and break up, get together and break up, hop church, do this, leave this job, go there. There's a major downfall of only having short-term relationships. The benefit of long-term relationships is that when somebody's known you for a long time and yet they still love you, that should mean something. Now, that's just human relationships. Nobody knows you better than God. Y'all come in here dressed looking fantastic and your best face on. I believe the best about you. You can tell me anything. And I'm like, yes, that's who you are. But God knows the truth. (laughs) And he still loves you. That should mean something to you. That should change what you see when you look in the mirror. If you want to get up and talk to him, there's nothing you can hide from him. And that's a good thing. And yet he loves you. And yet he loves you. If you see God, it changes everything else. If you see God, you can have joy and purpose in everyday life. Freedom from addiction, hope in the face of evil, and be comfortable in your own skin, healthy and fueled. We're going to close with a prayer, but before we do, I want to read you a story. 
I, I was raised by a father who loved sports and loved the Olympics. And so one of the great things that I had was a fun phone conversation with my dad who wanted to talk about all the people that represented University of Oregon in the Olympics. <laughs> and there's a lot of great stories in the Olympics, but you've probably heard them, so I want to uh, tell you an old story. Florence Chadwick was an American swimmer known for long-distance, open-water swimming. She was the first woman, woman to swim the English Channel in both directions, setting a record time each time. She was also the first woman, woman, what's my problem today? She was the first, she was a single woman. She was also the first woman to swim the Catalina Channel, the Straits of Gibraltar, and the Bosporus Way, and some other stuff. Chadwick entered swimming competitions from a young age, scoring her first win with the age of 10. But when she realized she preferred ocean events rather than pool swims, then she realized that. At the age of 10, she became the youngest person to swim across the mouth of the San Diego Bay. At 10 years old. Starting at the age of 11, she competed in rough water swims, winning an annual two-and-a-half-mile race in the ocean off La Jolla, 10 times in 18 years. She swam in Southern California ocean races as an amateur for several decades, but had her heart set on swimming the English Channel. In 1950, she attempted to enter a 1950 uh, channel swimming contest sponsored by the Daily Mail, a newspaper, but was refused for a lack of significant reputation. She was determined to try it at her own expense, failing in July after 14 hours in the water, but succeeded in August in her best-known contribution to swimming. Here's a story I want to get to. On August 8, 1950, at the age of 31, she crossed the English Channel from France... No, that's not the story I want to get to. She did a lot of other cool stuff. Florence was 34 years old on July 4, 1952, when she attempted to become the first woman to swim the 21 miles across the Catalina Channel from Catalina Island to Palos Verde on the California coast. The weather that day was challenging because the ocean was ice cold and the fog was so thick she could barely see support boats that followed her. The tides and currents were against her, and to make matters worse, sharks were in the area. But at daybreak, she decided to go forward anyway, expecting the fog to lift in time. Hour after hour, she swam. The fog never lifted. Her mother and trainer followed her in one of the support boats, encouraging her to keep going. While Americans watched on TV, other members of her support crew fired rifles at the sharks to drive them away. She kept going and going. At about the 15-hour point, she began to doubt her ability to finish the swim. She told her mother she didn't think she could make it. Unfortunately, at 15 hours and 55 minutes, she had to stop, and with huge disappointment, she asked her support crew to take her out of the water. Because of the fog, she could not see the coastline. She had no idea where she was. She soon found out, however, she was less than a mile from the coast. She could have certainly reached it if she had stayed in the water a few minutes longer. Later, she told the reporter, Look, I'm not excusing myself, but if I could have seen land, I know I could have made it. The fog had made her unable to see her goal, and it felt to her like she was getting nowhere. Two months later, she tried again, and though the fog was just as dense, this time she kept going. Her time was 13 hours and 47 minutes, breaking a 27-year-old record by a man. Um... By more, broke the record by more than two hours 
becoming the first woman to ever complete the swim. Some of you are hurting. Some of you want to give up. Some of you are tired. Some of you don't think you can press in. Some of you are wrestling with the same stuff you were wrestling with a long time ago and you feel like God has put you in a rubber room bouncing around. We cannot get there. We can't run the race. We can't live with faith if we can't see God. He is your coastline. He is your lifeline. He is your only help. Lift your eyes and see. Later on, when Abraham was discouraged because the promise wasn't being fulfilled, God sent someone to him that said, come out of your tent and look up to the stars. Some of you need to come out of your tent. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at your surroundings and look to the stars. From whence comes my help. Let's stand and let's close with this prayer that's on the screen. If you feel up to it, just say this prayer with me and then I'll pray a blessing over us as we go. Dear God, please forgive me for the times that I have not kept an active connection with you. Please help me to see you with my spiritual eyes. Please help me to learn more about you. Please change me through this. Thank you. God, I thank you that you've brought us to this place because you love us. I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us because you love us. Lord, indeed, forgive us for when we are not looking at you, for when we're looking at ourselves and our surroundings, for when we are distracted. Help us to set our eyes on you. Revive in us a hunger for you, for your presence, for learning more about you. Help us to see you and to believe that when we see you, it changes everything. God, I thank you that you've brought us together, that no one in this room is judging anyone else, but that we can love each other, encourage each other, and lift each other up. I thank you, God, that you've placed us here now. Lord, let us go from this place with grace and peace this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.